Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Welcome to On the Birds. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And on tonight's episode, we'll be joined by Andy Koska of the Baltimore Sun to discuss all things Orioles, including the Major League roster, as well as some things going on in the minor league system, including some players who probably are getting close to the majors at this point. But before we dive into tonight's interview, we want to shout out a new member of our Patreon community, and I will turn that over to Bob. Yeah, we got a new patron sign up at the AAA level, which is right on the cusp of the major leagues, right on the verge. Joshua Larsh, welcome to the club. Appreciate you, your support. Welcome, Joshua. And uh, tonight's guest is a writer for the Baltimore Sun covering the Orioles. He is Andy Koska. Andy, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. So we're, we're recording on Monday night, and um, this is the day after the Little League Classic. So how are you feeling after yesterday's adventure on that hill in uh, Williamsport? <laughs> yeah, Nathan uh, captured a pretty good video. So I, I learned a couple of things yesterday. Um, first off, don't go headfirst down the Little League Hill. That was the first lesson. The second lesson was don't do it with a backpack on. Um, luckily, I'm, I'm talking on the laptop that was in that backpack. So it, it survived the, the fall, but uh, you know, went headfirst. And the first bump I hit, the backpack went over my head. Kind of lost in balance, did a flip, did a couple flips, and you know, I almost pulled off a, a clean landing and the backpack flipped around again and I, I landed on my uh, on my stomach. So it was uh you know, I survived, it was all good, and you know, just my ego was, was dented, nothing else. <laughs> I couldn't tell the difference between you and Zachary Silver slide down the hill, you know, pretty similar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually Zach was pretty pretty clean with it overall yeah. <laughs> and uh, Nate was good, but mine I mean I was the guinea pig because I went first, so they have, most they have memorable, me most memorable. They have, they have me to thank a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it was a good time. Uh, overall, it's kind of what was that experience like for you yourself, kind of talking with and then with talking with players and coaches. You know, what did it mean to them to take part in something like that? Is there kind of, especially as they're having the season that you know the Orioles are having? Yeah, yeah. I wrote a story on. I guess it was Saturday going into Sunday. Um, just about like that was the first. ESPN Sunday night baseball game that I was been a part of since 2018. And a lot has changed since then, if you think about it. You know, that was post sell off. So, you know, there's no Manny Machado stuff in that lineup. Uh, not one starting player in that lineup is still with the Orioles, with Trey Mancini was the last one that just left the deadline. So, uh, a lot has changed, um, not least of all the, the quality that's on the diamond right now. Uh, and, you know, I think. And that, that was kind of an important thing. You know, I talked to Spencer Watkins a little bit about, like, I know they don't care about what channel they play on, you know, and that, you know, you never want to be like, oh, yeah, if you're playing on ESPN, that's so cool. Maybe, you know, for the little leaguers, it's pretty cool. For the big leaguers, I don't think they really care that much. But there is something to be said about a nationally televised game to kind of show that, hey, like, the O's are legit. You know, this is not the team of 2018, 2019, you know, where, where they lost a million games. It's it's they're, they're a winning team that's pushing for the playoffs. So, um, that's kind of what they wanted to show and, and they did it, you know, and I think, uh, 
you got out of it as well that Adley Rushman is not just the face of the O's, but he's a rising face of baseball. You know, he yeah. he did he did everything yesterday. You know, it just was. Uh, I think it was yesterday. Yeah, it was. It was it's been a blur. <laughs> but uh, you know, from you know being in the Little League World Series booth, you know, for for a game for an interview, he'd, you know, talk to media, you know, off the plane, talk to. You know, talk to media at every turn during the during the game itself. He talked to us post game. He talked to on Sports Center. You know, he he's had signed all these autographs. You know, it just was it was so it was so much for him, and he really lived up to the moment. So I think you know that that was a kind of cool thing to see that that he was able to to go through the moment and kind of be you know step up to the plate a little bit uh, to use a cliche. But uh, the players loved it. I think uh, Dean Kramer kind of put it best after the game, and you know he said like yeah sometimes. You know, baseball is work, and it can feel like work. But then yesterday was one of those moments that it kind of reminds them of, at like, yeah, they love this game. You know, that's what it is. It's a game, and they have a lot of fun. And and I, I think this team, more so than many teams, has a lot of fun, like, all the time, even in the monotony of, you know, road series where they go, you know, three-city road trips, whatever. They're still having fun. But yesterday was a pretty cool pretty cool way for everybody to have, have a lot of fun and, and connect with, you know, a lot of fans that, I kind of idolize them. Yeah, that's a good point about Adley. I mean, if it wasn't enough that he's like put himself right in contention for rookie of the year, yesterday definitely cemented the fact that he's like one of the big up and coming talents for for the game. But back to the Orioles as a whole, there's obviously a balancing act going on right now where the Orioles are in contention, but with their eyes still in the future, trying to develop guys. You heard about that after DL Hall's debut a couple weekends ago. Can you expand on how you see it playing out at the majors the rest of the way? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny that the the deal hall thing was super interesting to me. Just I didn't see a you know, we, we heard the start, you know, everything like that. We we knew it was coming up, but I didn't see so much the immediate send down. You know, I thought it was gonna kinda stick around. Um but I mean the way you know the, the Orioles see it, it's it's a way for them to kind of develop him for this stretch run in, in September. Really is I think where they where they see him coming back up as a reliever, uh, get another kind of flamethrowing lefty. You know, he and Perez that's going to be interesting out of the bullpen uh, with, with those two lefties. But um, it, it is kind of this balancing act where you know here they are two and a half. I didn't check the standings. Who else is playing today? But you know, entering today, they were two and a half games back of, of the final wild, wild card space. Um, they have an opportunity to go for it. I think Mike Elias has changed his tune when they when he traded Lopez and, and Trey the initial thing he said was like you know we can make the playoffs but it's maybe not the best probability we make the playoffs and even if we made the playoffs we're probably not going to win very much in the playoffs and then he quickly kind of changed his tune to like hey I believe in this team you know I think I think he you know tweaked the language just a little bit that that helped a little bit in the, in the clubhouse too that like this team has an opportunity here and it's such a fine balancing act where you know you don't want to call up prospects to have them sit on the bench you want them starting but you also don't really want to mess with a good thing and I feel like that's the place they're in right now with you know I've said it before I, I see you call up Gunnar Henderson he plays third Ramon Arias plays second and Jorge Mateo plays shortstop but there's a lot to it that you know, maybe the numbers don't exactly show, but with Runin Odor, I mean, he he brings a lot to this team. And I know, you know, yeah, the the defensive stats on paper with, you know, runs saved above average, things like that, uh, 
it, it, they don't look amazing, but there's sort of like some intangible stuff that when you talk to players in the clubhouse, when you talk to Brandon Hyde, you know, they just can't stop raving about what Odor brings, you know, studying presence with, you know, every, I don't know if you've noticed, but like every single time there's a, there's a mountain visit, Odor is running in there and giving his two cents too, because he's been around, you know, he, he knows, you know, he has tidbits of, of knowledge that he wants to, you know, impart on, on pitchers. And, you know, even if it's just like, Hey man, good, good luck. You know, like, you know, things like that go a long way sometimes. And I think, you know, so you don't necessarily want to mess with a good thing. Um, but they do have an opportunity with, you know, for example, bringing up Kyle Stowers, you know, and, and sending uh, Brett Phillips down um, to AAA. It, it, that's an opportunity where, you know, he is going to be in the lineup most days. You're going to have to kind of mix up the, the batting order to make sure that he's in the lineup because you don't want a top prospect like Kyle Stowers mm-hmm. sitting on the bench. Um, but he can also help you, you know, because their offense was, you know, kind of teetering and then he shows up and it's not a direct correlation, but they score 15 runs and they, they looked, you know, pretty good, uh, yesterday, you know, in Williamsport, you know, where I think he struck out like three times. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't him, but like you just add another, you know, lefty bat to a lineup that, that has some pop. So I think those are the things you have to have to juggle is can you get a top prospect up and can he make an immediate impact because you just don't want him to sit on sit on the bench. And uh, we're going to see that with, you know, when DL comes up, you know, how frequently is he going to pitch? What is that going to look like when Gunnar Henderson comes up? And that's, that's a, you know, ticking, you know, the, t- the clock is ticking. It's going to be soon. You feel like, um, you know, where does he kind of slot in, slide into this, you know, lineup and, you see like him experimenting at other positions, you know, in the, in triple a this week and or last week. And, you know, that's kind of, that, that, that kind of plays into it where it's, it's, you want his bat in the lineup and you don't necessarily know where it might be in the field, but you know, you, you don't want to just say like, okay, congrats. This 21 year old is going to play third base every single day when you have kind of established veterans that are, you know, winning at the major league level, you, you might have to figure out things a little bit, I guess tightrope, tightrope it a little bit where, you know, maybe he's, maybe he slides in at second. I don't know. I don't know what they do, but uh, it's going to be interesting to see. And, you know, next season it's really going to take off as Michael, I said, but this year, I think if they do it correctly with bringing up some of these guys at at key moments and, and making sure that they are actually playing frequently, it could be the double effect of, yeah, they're getting major league experience and they're also helping the ball club win and push toward the playoffs. Yeah, they're trying to thread the needle. And is that part of that balancing act with Stowers? Like we thought as soon as Mancini was traded, you'd see Stowers come up right away. They waited a couple of weeks, which I know Orioles fans were frustrated by. But is that part of that, you think, just trying to figure out where to slot him in and get him enough at bats? Yeah, you know, I think it initially it might have been some just like kind of figure out where this team was a little bit. Um, you get Brett Phillips who, you know, what kind of was it almost felt like Brett Phillips was more so than just his um, more so than what he brings to the field. And he brings great defense, good base running, not the best bat, but you know, he, he's a great clubhouse guy. And when you lose a guy like Trey, there could have been a little bit of like, Hey, this guy knows what to do in a clubhouse. He's a vet. You know, he's going to be, he's going to be good for a little bit just to help this kind of this clubhouse get, not get over, but like, 
you know, kind of weather the storm of like, holy fright, we don't have our longest tenured Oriole in the clubhouse suddenly, you know? So I think that probably played a little bit into it. And then when you figured out the clubhouse was doing fine, then Kyle Stowers comes up and, and he's going to play a little bit more of an active role. Um, it is interesting with, you know, just, you know, Ru- or not Rushman, uh, Santander playing more DH likely is, is going to be the the answer. Uh, I love the outfield, honestly, of, of Stowers, Mullins, and, and Hayes. You know, that, that's that's quite a good outfield just defensively. And and with, with Santander at DH, I mean, that's that's a pretty good order you have right there. Um, but then it gets weird when you have Rushman needs a day off. You need his bat in the lineup, so he's going to be a DH. Then I guess you put Santander in the outfield because he's been hitting like crazy, so you want him out there. That probably bumps – it probably bumps Stowers. So there's going to be – you know, he's not going to be the everyday player immediately, but he's going to be in there more frequently than not. And that's just, again, one of those balanced things that they got to figure out. And and they're going to figure it out, and it's, it's it'll work out, you know, most likely. But um, they're doing a pretty good job of it the, the first week that he's been here of getting him in the lineup and getting him those at-bats that he needs. Going back to some of the players like Odor, it feels like for an analytically driven front office, Michael Eyes and his regime do place some, at least some importance on veteran leadership and clubhouse chemistry. And do you think that keeping players like Odor and Robinson Serenos on the roster all year, uh, despite what Orioles Twitter may feel about this, could help explain them outperforming expectations and being in the playoff hunt right now. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it's super easy for fans to, when they're not in the clubhouse every day, to point fingers and say, oh, look at look what Robinson is batting. Look what Odor is batting. You know, of course, Odor is phenomenal in, in clutch situations. He seems like he turns into a, you know, a, a different player when, it, when it's a high leverage situation sometimes. But um, what they bring with, you know, just different traditions, you know, they're, they're the ones that, you know, Odor, you know, got the home run chain going that they, they added, uh, disco lights to the, to the clubhouse. Now, you know, they have a smoke machine after wins. It's like a, you walk in that clubhouse after a win, it's like a club, you know, it's like, you just walked into like, where's, you know, it's unbelievable. It's like, you know, someone passed me a Miller light, you know, it's like, what are we doing? You know, it's like, I'm not here to interview somebody. Let's, let's start dancing. Like it's, it's a different vibe. And that's honestly huge with Robbie and Ruby. I mean, that's what, that's what they do. And I think it's, it's very easy to, you know, point fingers and say like, okay, they're not carrying their weight analytically or, you know, with the batting average and stuff, but you ask anyone on that roster. I just, I just asked Tyler Nevin the other day about like, you know, he was here for a tiny bit, like seven games or something last year, but like just from his perspective of like, what's different, you know, what's, what's he noticed. And I think the first, first he mentioned the bullpen, which fair. Yeah. Very different. And then the second thing he said was having Robinson and uh, Robinson, Trinos and, and Rudin and Odor in that clubhouse is a huge difference. And, and they, and Jordan Lyles in there too, you know, can't forget about him. So having those veteran presences, you know, are, are really important for this team right now when you have a lot of young guys and, and when you have a leader like that and, you know, yeah, they might, might not be performing at a high level on the field, but in the clubhouse they're performing at a heck of a high level. Love it. Love the insight there. Um, important context, important things to remember as fans, I think too. But uh, talking about Jorge Mateo, this is a guy who, I remember we had Kyle Glazer on last year, and he was like, "Yeah, it's it's that's a guy you cut. Uh, he, he's a nobody." Uh, and I was always never the biggest fan of Jorge Mateo. And at, last time you were on, I think you had written a, just had just written a lot about 
the work that he was doing with Ryan Fuller and Matt Borg-Schulte. And he was starting to improve a little bit at the plate. But we know this year the defense has been excellent all year. And now he's really starting to break out the plate. He's been a phenomenal hitter over these last few weeks. Do you think these improvements are sustainable? And if so, where do you see his future being in this organization with Gunner coming up and Jordan Westberg knocking on the door and, and some of these other guys knocking on the door as well? Yeah. Uh, I know Nathan Ruiz pointed out the other day that Mateo's F war is the same as Carlos Correa right now. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's funny, you know, he's, I think last time I came on the show, I was on the Mateo hype train before it had even started boarding or leaving the station. And I, you know, feel a little validated that I was like, yeah, okay. I'll kind of on that because since July 4, he's hitting 301, you know, so he's, he's getting on base and he's, you know, a lot, a lot of power in that, you know, he's speedy as heck and a lot of power too. So um, what he brings is an electric, you know, player basically that, you know, is going to make great plays in defense uh, can put himself into scoring position. Um, and if he keeps coming through in big spots, like he has been, um, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot to like, and I don't know what the future holds, you know, I don't think anyone really does, but you, you see at the minimum, I would see him as a kind of super utility player that you can bring in off the bench. Um, if they want to make a splash at shortstop and get, you know, somebody this off season, a, a big money shortstop, you know, he could, he can play all sorts. He can play all over the outfield and, and the left side of the infield, probably second base too. So there, there's, that's a plus, you know, he can be that guy. But he's also showing, like, I wouldn't be shocked, like, if he proves himself as a guy that can be, you know, the guy for at least another season. You know, give him a, give him a shot next season. See if these two months are, you know, kind of a sign of who he is instead of just a purple patch, which I guess is like a soccer term. I don't know if you know what that means. But it, like, a, like a, good, a good patch of, of play. Um, I just wrote a story, I think, like, last week or when I was in Tampa about – um, what the difference is with Mateo um, since July 4 to now. And a lot of it is because his he, he just saw a steady diet of sliders away and two seamers in on the hands in batting practice. And so the whole point was like he didn't know which pitch was coming at which point, and he had to lay out the slider away and swing at the two seamer. So that was like a obviously pretty difficult, you know, to, to constantly do that. But the seeing all those, he really made a you know a huge amount of improvements in, in the cage. He brought it to the field, and his his chase rate is down in the last two months. His strikeout rate is down in the last two months. So those are you know probably the, the biggest things that have improved for Jorge Mateo uh, just offensively. And you know if he can do that, you know not chase as much as he was in the beginning of the season. I think he's he has a legitimate claim to be a starting shortstop next season. But you never you never know with things. I mean, if, if the O's have an opportunity to make a big splash and they feel like it's the right opportunity, they're going to go for it. And they'll find a spot for Jorge Mateo somewhere, you know, even if it's coming off the bench. But I think he's deserved a look at the very least. For you, sure. You definitely made me a, a believer. I was not. <laughs> and then I think you came on and, yeah, you started the hype train. And then we had some of our patrons, shout out to you guys as well, that were like, Mateo is a dude. And I'm like, all right, let me give him a chance. And I did, and I'm glad I did. Yeah, the the best sign for me is that his strikeout rate is only like twenty point five percent since July fourth as well, which is a big time improvement from where it was in the first three months of the year. So if he can keep that down, I think that's going to go a long way. But it sure seems like we're gearing up for an imminent Gunnar Henderson promotion announcement 
when do you see that happening? And, you know, for a while we thought Jordan Westberg would be the first guy out of those two to make it to the majors. But at this point, do you see him getting a shot to make his major league debut down the stretch? Uh, Gunner or Jordan? Sorry. Jordan for the second part. Sorry. Um, I'll answer the second part first. Um, Jordan, I don't necessarily see a promotion to the big leagues this season. Uh, not that he's not hitting great. You know, he's playing good defense. Um, honestly, he's a better I, – I, you never really know. I don't watch the games as closely as you guys, so, you know, for the minor leagues. So you guys can correct me, but he, he might be a more steady defender than Gunner is, especially at, at, in the middle infield. Um, Gunner can make tremendous plays, though. I mean, he's mm-hmm. he's quite an athlete, you know, so – there's always, you know, there's always, you know, both are very good defenders, but I think I might see the future for Jordan in the middle infield and Gunner more at third base, but that could just, you know, I don't, I don't, you guys can pitch in it if you guys don't really see it that way. But um, yeah, I don't, I, I think, I think Jordan might be blocked, you know, his, his immediate path to the big leagues this season might be blocked, but you never know with, with September, you know, when, when it rolls around, they might see a need, um, you know, who knows exactly what shakes out if there's an injury, you know, who knows? So he, he, he could get an opportunity. He's definitely like proven himself as a capable triple A player. And they always, they always talk about like graduating a level and they being Elias and, and kind of the brain trust. And um, he's certainly getting close to that. I don't know the exact benchmarks. Like for instance, when Adley Rushman was nearing a, a debut, his benchmark was, can you catch three days in a row? and survive it basically. And when, once he did that, he was called up, you know, he had an off day and then was called up the next day. So that was his benchmark. Um, with Gunner, it looks like, you know, they're testing him a little bit at some other positions. Maybe that is part of the benchmark of like, Hey, how versatile can you be defensively? Uh, that, that could be part of it. So I don't know exactly what the benchmarks are for Jordan Westberg, but his definitely his path could be a little bit more treacherous up here just because it seems like they, you know, Brandon Hyde, especially, Loves Odor at second. Urias can play second as well. Um, Mateo is pretty much locked down the shortstop spot every day. And that leaves third base likely as the opening for Gunner because uh, that's probably the likeliest place he'll, he'll move into. But, but I don't technically know. I mean, that's just kind of, you know, you know conjecture, I guess, on, on my part. But to answer your thing about Gunner, I mean, he could be, I wouldn't be shocked if tomorrow he's up um, because. Tomorrow will be he has 44 days of service time if he gets called up tomorrow, and then he'll still be rookie eligible then for next season's if if he makes the opening day roster next season, then they get a draft pick. I'm pretty sure that's how it works. I think so. So and Mike Elias loves his draft pick. So once he, you know, once once Gunner kind of still has that rookie eligibility for next season, I think uh, you know it's it's definitely a chance where um, Gunner kind of can come up whenever they feel he's ready um, played once at first base last week uh, played once at second base, which I think was his first start first start in the minor leagues at second base ever. He played a game there once like feature moved over there later, but that was his first start at first or second. Uh, they're just kind of seeing, you know, how versatile can he be? You know, is he a guy that they can say, Hey, Mount Castle needs a day off. Let's throw Gunner at first for a day. And then we can keep, you know, we don't need to do a you know crazy reshuffle. Or, you know, we just pop him in and keep his bat in the lineup. You know, who knows? Who knows exactly what they what they want? I, you know, I think he's capable of playing anywhere, but with a top prospect like him, you kind of want to 
probably dictate to like where he plays best. And it's probably on the left side of the infield, uh, third base or short. So yeah, we'll, we'll see exactly, but it's, it's imminent, you know, whenever, whenever Gunner could come up, it, it's, it's definitely soon, uh, most likely this season. Um, if not by the end of this month. So we'll see. I That's think you were spot on with your, uh, defensive scouting report there. I think we would agree. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I agree as well. Um, as the season has gone on, I think that we've been hearing a lot from our listeners, you know, why is it the guys start off in low A? You know, last year we saw some players make the jump from low A to double A. This year we've seen some aggressive moves from high A to double A, and all of them have essentially paid off. And yet with triple A, it feels like a guy will have good numbers over a large sample size and maybe not get that call up when everyone is expecting do you think that it's maybe a situation where the Orioles know that that benchmark should be higher to get from the AAA to the majors than it should be from high A to double A? Or do you think that it's maybe a little bit of kind of reaction to seeing a player who is as highly talented as Kyle Stowers or Gunnar Henderson performing well at AAA and wanting them as quickly in the majors as possible? Yeah, I think, um, I think it's natural for, you know, even reporters to look at AAA numbers and and say, "Wow, they have an 850 OPS. Like, what are they, what are they doing playing in Norfolk when they could be in Baltimore?" Um, I like to think that um, the O's have. I know they have more inside knowledge than I do on what on what their prospects are doing on the, on the dailies. So um, I, I think that they like to you know really make sure they don't. One thing that that has stood out to me about. You know, one thing Mike Elias said previously, I'll get back in a second about the double high A to double A in a second. But um, he said, you know, they don't want to have a guy come up, struggle, and then have to send him back down. And of course, they did that with Dia Hall, but that was a different circumstance in, in that they wanted to change his role and they weren't going to put him in a like throw him in the bullpen suddenly in, in the major leagues, you know, when he's never really done that before. So that one. You know, fine. They they got his feet wet. Was was the you know reasoning? Then he can change his role in the minors. Most of the time, though, they don't want. You know, let's use Adley Rushman as an example. They wanted to make sure he was really ready. He was overly ready, but they like really wanted to make sure he's ready because you don't want him to struggle so much that you had to send him back down and kind of crush his confidence a little bit. So that was, I think, most of the reasoning why they might pump the brakes a little extra. And there's a lot less pressure when you're going from high A to double A. Uh, fewer eyes, you know, if you struggle in double A, you know, it's not the worst thing on the planet. If you get sent back down to high, A, although it's not, you know, it's not great, but it's you know, not, not, you know, as, as, as in the spotlight, maybe as, um, as it would be if you're, you're major league or going back down to triple A. So there's differences there, um, just in the way of, you know, how they, I think, view the different levels of promotions, uh, is definitely, they definitely slow play the AAA to the major league promotions, but that's not exactly surprising. Um, just in, in terms of, you know, wanting to be overly ready, and especially, I think it was easier maybe when they were on pace to lose a hundred games to have a guy come up and struggle, and say like, oh, he's going to struggle and get through this, and then he's going to be better because of it. And now you're in the midst of winning games, and this is kind of part of that balance thing too, where like you really want to make sure he's ready and he's going to come up and actually impact this team in a positive way. Um, because, you know, you want to, you have to expect that there's going to be a learning curve always, 
but you can't have so much of a learning curve that it's a detriment to the team as a whole. So it's a fine balance. And, and I think, uh, yeah, it's a little maybe easier to go from high A to double A, even though, I mean, not no jump in levels is easy, but it may be just with, with less of a spotlight that they feel like, you know, hey, you know, we're more willing to make a, make a risk from high A to double A compared to triple A to, to major leagues. You try to avoid the Jared Kellenick situation. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Looking ahead a little bit, Michael Elias' recent comments um, with some of the quotes that he's had out there about blue skies ahead, liftoff, and we plan to significantly increase payroll this offseason are unusual for him in the sense of setting expectations for the upcoming offseason. Um, how do you see things playing out? Because it does feel like there are so many different directions this team can go in uh, between the end of this season and the start of the 2023 season. Yeah, you know, I... I don't know. <laughs> I've been sitting here like pondering that myself. I, I, I see, you know, that was the most definitive Michael Elias has ever been since being here in, in some sort of like direction of where the organization is on, on a whole. I don't think he's ever been. And of course I, I'm newer than the Nathan Ruiz, you know, my, my B partner. So he probably would be able to answer that with a little bit more uh, guarantee in his voice. than I'm, I think that's about as, as, you know, hundred percent, like this is where we are. Like we're taking the next step that he's been. Um, it is, it's good to hear for an O's fan. I'm sure, you know, it's good to hear as a reporter because I'm going to be covering an exciting team. Um, so it, it, it's, it's interesting that he kind of put those expectations on, you know, the, the team. And I think um, there's definitely a sense that, you know, it's, it's going to be a free agent, like a lot of free agents in the market. Um, it's it could be a way that it could be a sense that they make a splash and even move like who knows maybe Carlos Correa plays second base next year for the Baltimore Orioles I don't know you know it's like they, they could do something like that if they want to keep Mateo a shortstop because he's the better defender you know whatever might happen but they could make a splash like that but again I mean it's I talk about it all the time with like this balance and, and finding a fine line of, of you have all these prospects that are knocking on the door you want to find spaces for them you know next year if things work out you have a rotation of john means Dio hall grayson rodriguez tyler wells probably in there um and then you have a fifth spot that's up for grabs so is that fifth spot jordan lyles do you keep him around because he's such a you know veteran presence do you make a splash and, and really go get a you know top of the line starter you know maybe maybe that's maybe that's one of the ways they go maybe they trust dean kramer so much because of what he's showing lately that that he earns that fifth spot you know there's a lot of different directions they could go and I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, they didn't spend, you know, crazy amounts of money and they really just kind of locked down the arbitration guys they have, you know, maybe sign some extensions and trust that, hey, we built internally here. We only need to go and get like one or two guys. We don't need to do a huge, you know, don't need to do a huge, uh, huge revamp here. That's the way I'm kind of leaning, you know, is, is the ladder of they're not really going to make that much of a splash. You can play this back when they when they sign fifteen players, and I'm like, oh wow, okay. But you know, it's it's. I don't think it'll be that you know crazy overall of, of how hard they go because they have a lot of talent coming up, and you know, guys like Taron Vavra is is you know he could be a really nice bench piece where I don't know if you want to, you know, kind of close off his playing time by you know necessarily getting another veteran, you know, in, in the in the group. You know, you have you have guys that you know Ryan McKenna, you know, is is, is a 
good fourth outfielder lately. You know, like he, you know, you don't know what his ceiling might be, but he's playing really well right now. Like, do you go? They're not going to go get another outfielder. But like, you know, there's there's always there's always that consideration of like you have these guys that they, they could blossom into more. They they they've been consistently good. Um, you know, do you kind of stick by them? And so that's going to be very fascinating this offseason. That's that's one of the more interesting things, and it makes the winter meetings especially interesting of just what direction they go. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's going to be trades in there. They might trade for a starter with team control. Um, you know, use some of this. You know. Who knows? Maybe maybe they package a guy like you know Jordan Westberg and say, "Let's go get some really good starter." You know, like you don't know. They, they they'll make those decisions, and but it could really it could go so many ways. And I'm just I'm now just throwing out every option and hoping I hit the dartboard. But it's it, it's definitely it's an interesting offseason, and, and yeah, Mike Elias has at least signaled that things are starting to he's you know hitting the accelerator. It's- Speaking of one of those guys, you mentioned Jordan Lyles there, and I think he's been a pretty pleasant surprise for this organization. The veteran leadership has played a major role in all of this. We know a lot of the pitchers look up to him. You know, obviously not knowing where they could go, like you mentioned. We could trade for a starter with control. You could spend some money in free agency on a pitcher. But at the same time, if you're looking at Rodriguez, Hall, Kramer, probably a large group of young pitchers coming back again next year fighting for those five spots, do you think that picking up that $11 million club option is a viable option? Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> um, 11 million is a lot for yeah. a, a guy that has been incredibly reliable, but maybe not, you know, as wow. You know, I don't, I don't know. You know, it's, it's entirely possible that his, his reliability because he definitely he's he's on the mound every fifth day, and you know you can trust him to to go deep into outings. I mean, he's had some shorter outings here and there, but um, you can pretty much trust him to go six, I suppose, is what he wants to go six plus. But you know, sometimes five, just with the way things work out, third time through an order. But you know, he's been he's been a huge pleasant surprise, and I think what he brings, just like we talked about Ruby and and um, and Robinson earlier, you know, what he brings in the clubhouse is. Uh, you know, almost indispensable with some of the guys. I mean, Tyler Wells picks that guy's brain 24 seven, you know, they're constantly talking about, you know, different things. You know, he, he just, he has a way that, you know, he understands what this is. And, um, you know, I, I think a lot of the guys respect what he's done in this league. I mean, you don't, you're not in a, in the league for a decade by accident, like he's doing something right, you know? So uh, a lot of guys kind of, flock toward that. And that is definitely an interesting, you know, conundrum that the O's might find themselves in. I wouldn't be surprised if they, you know, maybe decline the option, but then bring them back on a different contract. You know, that, that could be the way to go. You know, I don't know exactly what, what they'll do, but definitely 11 million is on the steeper side. Um, but I think there's definitely a place for Jordan Lyles in this clubhouse and they, they like what he brings. And I think for good reason. Yeah. So <laughs> If the impossible does happen and the Orioles do make the expanded playoff field, what would that mean for a team that has been the laughing stock of the sport from 2018 to about, I don't know, a couple months ago? Yeah. Um, I think it would be in, you know, big neon letters, like, Hey, like watch out, you know, like I think, I think a lot of people still maybe don't want to realize that the Orioles are, above 500 
in August on August 22. You know, they're they're not going to lose 100 games this season. You know, that's confirmed. You know, if they lose every single game, it's 99. You know, and it's funny the preseason prediction in the Baltimore Sun that I had was 63 and 99 was what I put, and so uh, I was off. I was way off. Well, I could be right. I could still be right, but you never know. Um, I think you know it's definitely a sign though that if they make the playoffs in the playoffs in baseball, I mean, anything can happen. Like I'm not even, I wouldn't even put it past like, you don't know what happens in a wild card series. You know, they could, something crazy could happen. You know, Jordan Lyles goes four innings and you have DL Hall for two. Then you have, you know, CNL, uh, Bautista and, and, uh, you know, what, you know, it's things, crazy things can happen. And uh, it's, it's funny just the, that it's even a possibility this season. Um, a lot, a lot has to go right for them to make the playoffs. Um, but the fact they're in it is a is a good thing. I think it builds confidence for next season, if nothing else, and it's good experience for these young guys to experience the pressure of a of a playoff run. Um, you know, figuring out how to balance like looking at the standings every day compared to not looking at it at all. How to what what works best for them? You know. Brandon Hyde, you know, he's been through this before with Chicago. He knows what playoff races are like. He checks the standings every day. But other guys who might, they might, that might get in their head. They might not want to check the standings every day. And this is a season that they're going to learn that. Um, and I think that really can't, you know, be overstated just the, the value of learning something like that. Um, it could, it could pay big dividends, you know, next season and beyond. Yeah, I could see a Tyler Wells, Grayson Rodriguez, Jordan Lowell's, uh playoff rotation doing doing some damage but uh next question is who's going to win most valuable oriole and why is it chris holt <laughs> um well he's he's actually yeah he, he's done a, a great job this season um ali rushman is going to win it um the, the i mean the, the funny thing is that you there's a lot of different ways you could go with most valuable oriole you know just with there's been a lot of you know i would i would argue that jorge mateo has a claim you know, like just with the defense and, and what you're getting as a, as a nine hole hitter, excuse me, as a nine hole hitter, most of the time, you know, is that's, that's been a big improvement. Um, but it's Ali Rushman. Uh, yeah. Three months ago yesterday is when he got called up and they are like 13 games over 500 since he got called up, something like that. You know, I forget the exact, you know, number on the record, but it's a different ball club since Ali Rushman arrived. Um, the pitching staff loves working with them. Um, he has, you know, he, he's, he's definitely, he's one of those guys that, you know, makes people around him better. And I think, you know, even if he, you know, isn't having his best offensive day, the fact that like other people around him are playing well, that's going to, that's going to make him feel fine. So, um, definitely, definitely Adley would be my pick for MVP or MVO, I guess it would be, um, and not MVP of the league. I mean, like for the Orioles, who would yeah. be for, for <laughs> let's make that one clear. But uh, it's, it's definitely been a, a difference maker in, in what this team has been able to do since May 20. So, yeah, that's who I pick. But yeah, I mean, you, you, you mentioned it with Chris Holt. You know, they've done, they've done a, a, a great job of, you know, tweaking things with analytics too. Austin Voth has talked a lot about since he's arrived, um, you know, from the Nationals that just the analytics has helped him kind of rebound a season uh, with, with knowing where to pitch, when to pitch, you know, things like that. Um, he's added a sweeper to his mix. You know, that was, 
you know, Chris Holt idea. Uh, Spencer Watkins added a slider. That was another Chris Holt idea. Those two pitches for those guys, you know, they play off curveballs. They, they're just another weapon against righties. And, you know, I, you know, Spencer said, you know, he's not yet comfortable really with that back foot slider that could be so dangerous against a lefty. But as soon as he kind of develops that, you know, probably in the offseason, he'll have more time to really develop a back foot slider for against a lefty. You know, that's a great, that's a great pitch in his arsenal that just, you know, works against, you know, both sides of the plate. So th- there's a lot that Chris Holt has done in, in the in the pitching department. It's a lot, you know, Chris Holt's the name on it, but there's a lot of guys that work in that pitching department that deserve credit too. And, you know, it's you know, Ali Rushman, I think, is in that mix of what, what he's just been able to do with, with learning a pitching staff so quickly because he missed spring training. Yeah, it's interesting context because Adley really did miss valuable time with spring training. We talked about this last week after your colleague Nathan Ruiz wrote a really good piece in the Baltimore Sun, kind of looking at Rutzman in the context of the Rookie of the Year race. I know Rutzman's your pick for most valuable Oriole right now, but where would you see him in the AL Rookie of the Year race if you had to make that decision? Yeah, um, well, it's either him or the the guy in Seattle. Of course, I'm blanking on his name. Um, Yeah, Julio Rodriguez. Thank you. Um, It's one. It's one of those. One of those two. I think. uh, Speak of the devil. I get a text from Nathan. He said everything I said is wrong. I'm joking. No, but uh, no, it's. uh, I I think Adley has a definite claim for rookie of the year. Um, It's a weird thing. Like I, I don't vote for rookie of the year uh, for multiple reasons, but like the fact that voting for rookie of the year has like salary implications and stuff and, mm-hmm. and how much service time, you know, they, that is, that is the kind of weird thing just from my position. Uh, like having that kind of control over a player is, is not, I don't think uh, the media's job at all. So that's a weird thing for me. That's an aside though. But I think, uh, I think Ali would be the rookie of the year just in terms of how there is such a stark difference between this team on May 20th compared to May 21st. And I think a lot of those awards should be a lot of the time it's given to, you know, like Mike Trout gets it and he's absolutely deserving when he got it, you know, but again, his team kind of underperformed in all those seasons. And I think a lot has to be given to how does a player elevate the entire team? You know, do they make the entire team better? Um, and I think in Adley's case, absolutely yes. They, they've turned into a playoff contender, um, you know, since July, like one of the best records in baseball. You know, it's it's, it's been interesting to see, but I think uh, he definitely has a huge case. And his offensive, he, he's he also has a case for being the best catcher in baseball. You know, period. You know, just with his defensive stats are all top ten across the board, and his pitch framing is unbelievable, and his. Uh, if you saw it in the fifth inning last night with the two two strikeouts, I forget who it was. I know one was Kowacki or somebody. I forget who it was, but the last two strikeouts of the fifth inning, you know, both were off the plate and he, he you know, great, great pitch framing jobs. And his offensive stats uh, are like top three for catchers. So he's already made a case for, you know, best catcher in baseball. He's a 24 year old who's been up for 80, 81 games he's played, I think. So, I think. So, He's, he, I think he's he's the rookie of the year, but who knows? We'll, we'll see what everything shakes out to be. Moving on to the player that was the consensus number two prospect coming into this season, Grayson Rodriguez. Obviously, he's missed a lot of time with that lad injury. Uh, reports are now that he is rehabbing down in Sarasota. 
do you think it's realistic that he could be added to the roster uh, in time to possibly be postseason eligible if the Orioles get there? Or do you think it's more likely we see a gradual buildup where best case scenario, he's back on the mound at Norfolk for the tail end of their season in 2023 is when we see him in the majors. I wouldn't be shocked if he's in the majors by the end of this season. Um, he's making a lot of progress down there. Um, feels great. You know, this whole time he, he's, you know, he's been pretty adamant that he's thought it was a cramp, you know, when it first happened, he didn't think it was that big of a deal. Um, you know, so it's, it's definitely, uh, he's he's coming back strong and you know i think the o's are kind of seeing that you know every you know bullpen session that he throws is, is coming the, the reports are coming back well he's throwing a sim game this week you know i think that the progression is there uh, it wouldn't shock me if he if he returns to triple a and they don't risk it you know he, he's you know he, he's he's a big talent that they want to have ready for 2023 but i would be you know, I was actually like wondering, I kind of wondered to myself, like, could he technically be a bullpen piece, you know, for this, for this team, kind of like what they do at DL Hall, but I would be, I think it's less likely probably that he goes the DL Hall route of the bullpen and he would be a starter, uh, be that in AAA, or he could be a late, late addition to the rotation this season. I, I would, I truly do not put it out of the realm of possibility that he's a Baltimore Oriole by the end of the season. Love it. Considering I, I was convinced you can't unconvince me that uh, that inning he got injured in that was that was the last inning he was going to pitch in AAA to get called up. But uh, unfortunate timing there. But uh, another yeah. minor league question here: Some of the guys, you know, Colton Kowser, Connor Norby, Joey Ortiz, a lot of guys making big noise down there in in AA right now. But since the pandemic, we've seen the shift in the minor league schedule where they've got this staggered finish. Do you have any insight into? Maybe some possible Orioles plans for all right. Norfolk still goes on for two more weeks after Bowie's over. Seeing some of these guys make that jump for that cup of coffee right at the end of the year is a, a nice reward. Honestly, I had not even considered that until you just said it. Uh, I I had no yeah I hadn't thought that far ahead about the possibilities, but I, yeah I wouldn't I definitely wouldn't put it out of the realm of possibility. I think there's definitely a huge benefit to some of those guys um, getting at bats at the AAA level even if it's two weeks of at-bats, um, you know, there's that's probably where they're going to wind up very out of spring training next year or very quickly, uh, the, the rise from double-A to, to triple-A. So there could be there could be a sense of, yeah, let's, let's get some at-bats in there. But, yeah, honestly, I hadn't, I had not even, I hadn't even thought of that until five seconds ago. But it's a good, it's a good point. And, you know, Kowser definitely in that, is in that mix for, you know, I, I, I wouldn't, expect it anytime soon but maybe towards the end of the end of the year um they, they would kind of you know see him as a guy that could definitely go up and he i mean he technically could go up sooner with the way he's been playing but um you know we'll, we'll see but that is definitely a good point and i think uh we'll see we'll see a bunch of guys make that jump from double a to triple a yeah i just hadn't i hadn't really considered that before now yeah, we saw a little bit with uh, Gunnar Henderson last year. It was only like the last week of the Bowie season he got, and he got some playoff experience, and maybe that you know helped him jumpstart his offseason routine before his breakout year this year. But my last question is, who is the biggest success story between Dean Kramer, Spencer Watkins, and Austin Voth? Hmm. Is uh, all of the above an answer? Uh, <laughs> um I won't say Dean because I think this was always kind of a possibility. I think like this was a, a very known commodity that he had this stuff and it just was a case of, 
you know, can he be healthy and uh, can he, you know, find a, a consistency? And he's pitching great right now. Uh, all five uh, last night, he had his five pitch arsenal, and I think he he threw everything, you know, within like five pitches of each other. He was so evenly across the board on this five pitch arsenal that was crazy. So he, he's been pitching great. Uh, the biggest success story of Spencer Watkins or Austin Voth. Um, I think just the, the circumstances around Austin Voth would, would push him ahead. Um, Spencer has pitched great. He's put himself from the position of, you know, I think Spencer Watkins was kind of a fringe guy that you didn't know what he was going to become, you know, 28, 29, whatever, you know, kind of, you know, you don't exactly know. And he's, he's proven himself as, you know, a legitimate starter in this rotation and, and that can't be overstated. And, you know, he has a shot at being in this rotation next year. If not out of the bullpen, he could also be a long guy. Um, but Austin Voth was a guy that they, I mean, they, they, they I mean, they, I don't want to like say this in, in a way that's like demeaning to Austin Voth, but like technically they junk picked him. Like he had like a 13 ERA and was released on waivers. You know, like he is 100% the, the success story of the season that they, the Orioles proved that they could take a cast off from somebody else and prove him in, and turn him into a legitimate starter and uh, the circumstances had to line up well with, you know, he had to fill in, you know, for an injury there and now it hasn't lost his place, you know, his place in that, that rotation. Um, the way that he, the, the sweeper has really added a lot to his game um, just in terms of, you know, he has a deadly curveball, uh, but adding then a sweeper where it's a little bit more, that's more of the swing and miss pitch where he can he can place the he can place the curveball for soft contact in the zone, but then if he wants to kind of a swing and miss, he can then throw that sweeper off the plate. Um, we haven't seen him a lot of it. I think he threw ten. He threw ten of them on Saturday. Uh, that was his most of the season. Um, so we'll see more of that as the as the season goes on. But he he is I mean he's a completely different pitcher than he was in the beginning of the season. Um, the experiment as a one inning guy for the Nationals completely failed. Um, he, that's not him, you know, that's not, he's a, he's a long guy. He's really a starter. He wants to be a starter. That's, that's what he's used to. Um, and I, I think, uh, yeah, that's the story that, that's, that's really the, the reclamation project of the season is, is turning Austin Voth into a, a pretty legit starter. And, um, you look at him and you're like, okay, where, where, what's his future? Because you have all these young arms that you're kind of like, how do they all kind of fit together into, uh, into a rotation and bullpen next season. But I think, uh, He's a guy that you probably want to keep a hold of, you know, be it in AAA and you need a spot starter here or there or a long, long relief, or maybe he continues this and, and proves that he's a fifth, fifth guy. But I think he's, he wins the, of those three, he wins. Yeah. I think Orioles fans are used to our cast offs going somewhere else and uh, finding success, not the other <laughs> way around. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is, that is probably a nice thing to see, uh, see one of those, one of those work. But a lot of waiver claims have worked. I mean, this season's the the season of the waiver claims becoming, uh, you know, kind of molding into these, uh, you know, full on, you know, bullpen arms that are dominant to, you know, have starters with, you know, a couple of these guys like Tyler Wells and, and, and Austin both. So, I think for me, it's this organization can develop pitching. So when you see some of these. These pitchers, maybe you have this big group of guys who projected, you know, number five starters in the major league level. Well, look at what they've done with guys like Austin Voth and Spencer Watkins, and maybe, maybe you got some diamonds in the rough down there in the minor leagues as well. It's fun, fun to watch.
Yeah, well, if you think about Felix Bautista, I mean, he yeah. was, you know, give it two two years ago, you know, he was a completely unknown commodity. Last year, he was, you know, fairly unknown until, he, you know, rapid rise at AAA. And then here he is, the the closer with Omar's whistle, Omar, you know, the Omar whistle, you know, to welcome on the on the field. So it, there are definitely, you know, some diamonds in the rough. And, and I think the those are finding them. And, and, and Bautista is a good example. Austinville is a good example. Um, we'll see who else, you know, shows up. But definitely, I mean, yeah, the organization can develop pitching. And, you know, I think they so frequently draft college hitters, you know, pretty highly in, in the draft. Um, obviously, obviously, Jackson Holiday is the, you know, you know high schooler in that, in that mix, but uh, a little bit of exception there. But I think they don't necessarily need to spend a huge amount of draft capital on pitchers because they, they feel confident that they can develop a guy and, and tweak his stuff and, and, and you know, do, basically make him into – what they envision for him instead of having to draft a guy that is, you know, pre-made, I guess, if that makes sense. I have one more question and it yeah. kind of builds off this uh, discussion about the pitching staff, which is where do you see Kyle Bradis in this mix right now? He's had some ups and downs in the majors this year, had the injury stint and he's come off the IL and has been solid, but not quite dominant. And I would say that maybe his outing this past weekend over the Red Sox, you kind of saw the best and worst of Kyle Bradis in the majors this year in that start. So do you see him right now in the 2023 rotation mix? And what would he, if not, what would he have to do to get there? Yeah, that's a, that's an incredibly tough question. I, I think um, I never like to like put caps on guys. Cause you know, I don't, I don't know how things are going to shake out, but he definitely is kind of on the, maybe a little bit more on the outside looking in at this point on, on a 2023 rotation spot. And that doesn't mean that he's not going to absolutely, you know, nail one down in spring training or, or, you know, he finishes the last month of this season, last month and a half of this season in, in terrific form. And, you know, not, what was it? Nine hits against Boston or whatever it was he gave up, you know, so not, not the, you know, didn't miss many bats, but, you know, kept the runs low. I think it was three. So, you know, it was a decent outing, you know, it just was, you know, kind of ran into some trouble. Uh, here and there he's been an interesting guy you know just with the way you know he started he had that well like 11 strikeout game against st louis you think like holy fright you know he's you know he's going to come in and, and not need any you know learning curve but the reality is you know this is going to be the way it is for when grayson rodriguez comes up when it's the way it is like not everyone comes up and is steven strasberg striking out 14 or whatever on their on their debut like that's not the way a lot of things work out with, with a starting pitcher, especially um, it's, it's tough, you know, to be a starting pitcher and learn how to pitch the third time through a rotation or through an order, excuse me. You know, it's, that's the biggest challenge. And you see, I mean, Jordan Lau is even has trouble doing that. And, you know, Dean Kramer, you know, kind of ran into a little bit of trouble there, you know, in the, in the sixth inning before he got, you know, the, the early, early pull last night. So that's going to be an interesting thing of how does he develop, uh, in terms of, you know, kind of missing more bats, not walking people. Um, if he can kind of do those two things a little bit more frequently, work deeper into outings. He doesn't need to strike out 11 a game, you know, to, to be a dominant pitcher. Um, but, I mean, that's I'm sure the O's would take it. They wouldn't say no to that. But, um, you know, I, I think he has, he has the stuff that, that can work to work more efficiently. Um, you know, drawing swings on borderline pitches 
would be a huge thing. You know, uh, he has a couple of mistake pitches a game. It feels like where they get punished. Um, everyone has a mistake pitch here and there, but you want to minimize them as much as possible. And, and so I think he's still kind of in that, you know, in between spot of, you know, he's learning as a rookie and it's difficult to be a rookie. And, you know, people were hyped for DL Hall to come up and, and you saw in that second inning, I think it was where he strikes out the side and that's electrifying, but then he also walks a bunch of guys, you know, and, and gives up some runs. So I think that's just the way it's going to be for, um, for most of the pitchers who come up and he's kind of in these kind of in a rocky stretch, but you know, Hey, you know, we don't know exactly what's going to happen. And he could definitely, he definitely is a, a promising prospect, but um, he's going to have to find a little bit more consistency to, to be in the rotation next year. But I mean, he can do it. He's got a month and a half to, to kind of show what he did against Boston. Maybe not give up as many hits as he did against Boston, but you know, if you can, if you can go work it, you know, work into the sixth inning um, with, you know, three runs or fewer, you're doing pretty well. The good news with Bradish is, you know, he's got the good stuff that he could come in and be a multi-inning reliever like Keegan Aiken this year, or even eventually be a, a closer type or a high leverage reliever with his stuff. So if it doesn't work out in the rotation, he's, he's got other options as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, there's a lot of ways, you know, they, they can go with this and it's probably a good problem to have to, to have so many options. So I, I think, you know, <laughs> they'll, they'll, I think the O's appreciate that they have a, a headache on their hand of what to do with all these guys. So before we move into our final segment of the night where Bob, Nick, and Andy is welcome to join as well and shouting out players that are maybe flying a little bit under the radar with some of their performances in the minor leagues of late, uh, just a couple of quick news items to get to. Dylan Hyde and Isaac DeLeon were promoted from Delmarva to Aberdeen today. Hyde struck out 43 batters in 34 and two-thirds innings uh, before his promotion high A. DeLeon, meanwhile, has been coming on strong in the second half and has maintained a high walk rate in the Shorebirds lineup all season at just 20 years old. Jackson Holiday got into four games last week and hit his first professional home run, all the while walking six times to striking out once in 17 plate appearances. And the FCL and DSL seasons wrap up this week, so we might be seeing some more moves from the FCL to Delmarva here soon, perhaps including Holiday. But I'll jump in now to the final segment. I'm going to start with Bob here. Um who has a name that we have not seen at the high levels of the minors in a while for his hitter. Well, first off, I want to shout out Isaac DeLeon because, you know, that was a guy when Kobe Perez said, you know, we're looking at some guys that can repeat Delmarva next year and really break out in a big way. And I, the first name that came to my mind was DeLeon because he had a high walk rate and just seemed like he was on the verge of uh, breaking out a little bit. But no, instead he, he comes out strong in the second half and forces his way to Aberdeen even before this year ends. So, Good for him on that. And, yeah, my my hitter this week is going to be a guy who was demoted from AA to the FCL not too long ago. But I think that was more just due to an injury where he could bat but not field for a little while. But that's Adam Hall, who was promoted to AAA Norfolk uh, a couple days ago. And he pinch ran in his first game, and then he went one for three with a walk and a double in his first start of the season in AAA. And to me, this is just more sign of uh, – maybe getting ready for a Gunnar Henderson promotion because he's a guy that can play second base, a little infield, outfield with Cal Stowers being up. But nice to see him get that opportunity after, you know, being one of the better prospects in a previous regime when Michael Elias came in and then struggling so much last season. 
in high A, but he's he's had a good year despite some some hiccups on the injury front, and just good to see him break out a little bit. And my pitcher is going to be Ryan Long, who I feel like is a guy that's been in the mix at Delmarva all year, starting some games, coming in relief some games, but going a little bit under the radar where he's he's got a three. 0.00 ERA over 63 innings with uh, 65 strikeouts. Walks a little too many guys, but hasn't given up barely any home runs this season. And uh, he had a really good week this past week, so I just figured I'd shout him out as another pitcher that is in the mix to at least be a, you know, a decent relief prospect down the line. Uh, my guys, real quick, I'm going to Aberdeen for all of my guys here. Billy Cook, uh, he homered in back-to-back-to-back games this past week, hit 300. With a 973 OPS, uh, which is pretty huge considering his OPSs in previous months were 648, 687, 585, and 692. But uh, we know the power and overall athleticism is there. He can play. I think he's played just about every position there is this year or since he was drafted. So good to see him finish strong, hopefully earn a look at Bowie next season. But uh, in the pitchers, two more bullpen guys. I went Bowie bullpen last week. Uh, great run they had. This week it's uh, Aberdeen's bullpen. Daniel Fetterman had four no or four innings, no earned runs last week, no walks, five strikeouts. He's got 23 strikeouts and just four walks since being promoted to Aberdeen. Uh, and then also Daniel Lloyd's another name that I'm going to, because I have this weird obsession, as many of you know, with minor league relievers, uh, that I'm excited to dive into a little bit more because he pitched four innings last week, no earned runs, one hit, no walks, six strikeouts. He's got 32 and two-thirds innings with Aberdeen this season, 41 strikeouts, just nine walks. Just turned 22 a few days ago, and he's having a pretty solid year. 14th round pick out of South Carolina last year, so good to see him finish strong this year. Good week for the Daniels. I'm going to go down to DSL for my hitter this week. Edwin Amparo uh, hit his first two home runs of the season on back-to-back days and has been on fire in the month of August. 59 plate appearances across 15 games. He's batting 370 with a 1.016 OPS. This was one of the prize pickups for the Orioles in the international free agent class back in January. He did struggle for the first couple of months down the DSL, but really lighting it up uh, over the final month down there at just 17 years old. Uh, getting a better feeling we'll see him stateside next year and certainly looking forward to that. And then pitchers um, going with Justin Armbruster. It's an easy choice, but I feel like it's the right choice. He struck out John Carlos Stanton twice. Um, as part of a very good start against Somerset last week. And my favorite stat with Arn Brewster, he's now walked just 26 batters in 99 to third innings pits this season while striking out 108. And at Bowie, he's pitched 45 and two-thirds innings and walked only eight batters. So that command has gotten sharper as the year has gone on. And looking at, a, I think, a definite pitcher of the year candidate in Arn Brewster. And, Andy, I'll turn it over to you. Um Anyone in the minor leagues kind of on your radar right now that maybe doesn't get talked about enough? Uh, you guys uh, you guys throwing all these fancy stats on me. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. But <laughs> uh, uh, honestly, like Cole Uvula um, is a guy that I've seen. Obviously, he's, he's not you know, the prospect material. He's you know, an older guy. He's been, been, you know, been around in the minors. But I feel like he's one of those relief arms that we're going to see sooner rather than later um, if he can find his way on the 40-man next year. He's uh, pitching great um, overall. Um, that, that's kind of one of the names that, that sticks out to me. He's, he's, he's close. I wouldn't be shocked if he could if he could make it. Um, yeah, I think uh, I'm interested in, in Shane Fontana. He hasn't really played all that great in, in AAA since he's come up, but it's a big big learning curve. But those two names kind of stick out to me. I feel like Shane gets lost in a in a prospect laden outfield 
And, uh, you know, it's kind of, I'll be interested to see what, what he could kind of uh, grow into. But yeah, those are the, I don't have any fancy stats for you guys. Uh, that, that's, there's two names for it. That's good a good shot, though. though. I mean, Fontana, I think he hit his first AAA home run this past week. So oh, he's, go. he's got some tools. He's got some tools for sure. Definitely. And Andy, we thank you for coming on tonight. We really appreciate your insight. Um, we know we can find your work at the Baltimore Sun, but uh, can you tell our listeners where they can find you on Twitter and what they can expect uh, from you and Nathan Ruiz between now and the end of this season? Yeah, you can uh, You can expect a lot of articles. Um, <laughs> we have, there's, uh, do a teaser. Uh, Nathan has a story on uh, Chase, uh, Chase McDermott and uh, Kay Povich, uh, I think, on the in the pipeline, um, which would be a very fascinating one. He's also got a deep dive. Hopefully, we'll see. Um, you know how it all comes together, but hopefully, a, a deep dive coming soon on uh, the the pitching staff at uh, as in the, the literally the staff members, not not the pitchers themselves in, in for the O's. So that'll be very fascinating. You know, talking about Chris Holt and, and some of the other guys more behind the scenes that have, have done a great job and. Uh, I have, a, I have a piece coming out soon on a, a new tradition in the Orioles clubhouse. Um, it has not been really talked about yet. So keep your eyes peeled for that one. It uh, involves a belt of some sort. So, uh, you know, that's that's the teaser. Uh, you can, yeah, baltimoresun.com slash sports is where you can find all our stuff. And um, Andy Kuska at AFKOSTKA on Twitter is uh, – a very boring Twitter, um, but yeah, just go to Baltimore Sun and subscribe, please. That'd be nice. This I just have to say before we go, this Orioles clubhouse sounds like a raging club. That uh, I'm getting too old for clubs, but uh, I I want to check this out now. <laughs> and I gotta say, the work you and uh, Nathan Ruiz have been doing at the Sun is definitely worth subscribing for. You guys are are killing it on the beat. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Well, and thank you to Andy for coming on tonight. Uh, in addition to checking out the Baltimore Sun, which you definitely should do, head over to BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com for our latest work and work from our fellow writers on the site covering the Orioles, Ravens, and much more. And while you're there, be sure to hop on the message board and join discussion with fellow readers of the site as well as contributors. And then follow us on Twitter at BSL and the Birds for all the latest news in the Orioles minor leagues. We will be back with a new show next week. For Bob Dillon and Nick Stevens, thank you to Andy Costco for making this appearance. This is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On the Birds.